Welcome to MedTech Speed to Data, a KeyTech podcast. I'm your host, Andy Rogers, VP of Business Development at KeyTech. Each month, me and a KeyTecher are going to interview a MedTech leader and talk to them about the critical data-driven decisions they make in their programs. All right, we're back with uh, Jake and Steve here, talking with CEO Steve Schaefer from Cool Tech. All right, so episode two of MedTech Speed to Data, we're going to be talking about this, the other product that CoolTech is developing, the MyHelper platform. Uh, so, Steve, do you want to describe the MyHelper for our audience, please? Sure. MyHelper is a non-drug uh, therapy for migraine. It, uh, it's something that people will be able to use at home when they feel a migraine coming on. Uh, quick 10-minute therapy to make it go away. So this is the, the sister product to the, to the CoolStat platform. So I'm curious, how did you discover, uh, and I know this was kind of discovered, I guess, after the, the CoolStat, the in-clinic platform was being developed. How did you discover that it might be effective for, for migraines? Well, um, people have used oxygen therapy to treat cluster headaches and migraines in the past, and it's been pretty successful. A little bit difficult to deliver and not really feasible for at-home therapy, but it had efficacy. And a prototype study was done at Johns Hopkins to compare oxygen therapy and just simple dry room air compared to a control group. And it showed a significant pain reduction in the dry air arm over the control. And and what 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 data specifically... Um, showed that? Uh, with the outcomes data, so with migraine, it's a subject reported um, pain and other bothersome symptoms. And they say what it was like in the beginning and whether it was reduced or went away. Got it. Sounds pretty pretty uh, clear cut there. <laughs> um, so, so question for you. Um, so the, the My Helper, what, what is your regulatory pathway uh, to get this product on the market? So it's similar to CoolStat in that it's a 510K process. Um, but like CoolStat, it will probably be a de novo process, meaning it's you're not claiming a predicate, um, but you're also saying that it doesn't require a you know, PMA, which is a longer, more rigorous path. So you've developed a, you're in trials now, sounds like, and you, you've developed a, a clinical trial device. Um, so can you describe, uh, you know, what this trial device is more specifically, and then is this trial device, uh, how is this, this trial device different from your commercial device? So we're actually for the current randomized controlled trial using a modified version of CoolStat. So one of the great things about having an outsourced development partner is it makes you nimble. Uh, we were able to work with CoolTech to modify CoolStat to work for the migraine delivery. So instead of a closed-loop temperature management system, it's an open-loop um, specified flow rate for a specified time period. Similar patient interface, except for that we actually have incorporated a nebulized mist of saline uh, for added comfort and tolerability. Because people have migraines, we want it to be a very pleasant therapy. So we were able to make those changes. Um, what's exciting and coming right around the corner 
is a completely new product designed for at-home use, which Keytech is also doing the development for, and leveraging the background experience they've had with CoolStat. So that is a product that's going through um, a verification validation process. We'll go to the FDA most likely um, and get an IDE and, and run uh, studies with people at home so they can have it at their bedside. Yeah, so, so you have sort of an in-clinic in study sort of going now with a modified product. And then in parallel, you've got your more you know, commercial ambulatory product that will also need a trial. Um, you know, in parallel, but you be confident that the data from the first trial, you know, will, will work or the, the platform will work in your, in your second trial. Sounds like, yeah, it'll be different because it's a different use case when you're in clinic. Um, you have to develop a migraine. You've got to travel in without taking any rescue medication, you know, hours later, get the therapy. Um, it's going to be a different use case and different patient population. So we expect the at-home data to look even stronger than the in-clinic data. A lot of companies are, are looking to go from in-clinic to at-home. I have to ask, you know, as your, what, what considerations are you uh, making in your product development plans now for eventually running a clinical trial at home? So, you know, you know, so not in a controlled environment. This is a, this is a different world. So, so how are you planning for running a trial in the home environment? Well, it starts with the device requirements and the standards for at-home use, which are very different. Um, and you also have to incorporate uh, you know, usability and other design considerations around the fact that you're not gonna have someone administering the therapy. It has to be completely um, self-guided. Um, things have to be very obvious, very simple. Uh, you're not gonna have an expert user. Everything you could imagine they shouldn't do, they'll probably try. Um, and you have to make sure that it's always safe regardless of what they do. It's a, it's a lot more work. There's a lot more rigorous standards for at-home devices. And, um, and so you have to work with your development partner First, you hope they have all the experience in that, you know, ours does, which is great. And uh, you go from there. Uh, is, is the device, the at-home device connected, like paired with a smartphone or, 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 or not? Or is it just direct to a cloud? No, it has a companion app with it. And eventually in the commercial product, that'll be a large aspect of it. Um, you know, people who suffer from migraine, uh, which is the fifth leading cause of ER visits, you know, they, they deal with a lot of trauma. Uh, it's very disabilitating. Um, and, you know, they, they need to track their triggers. They need to diary things. And so having a companion app that ties along with the therapy uh, is very important. Is it worth having the app in the trial? Like, what, why are you doing that? I know that that complicates um, the development and, you know, maybe safety testing to do leading up to the trial. Why are you using the app in the trial? Um, yeah, so that's my first question. Yeah, it's a great question. So we're intentionally making it unidirectional. So we're not allowing the app to, um, to make any changes to the device, not even you know, the potential for firmware changes. So the user's not gonna, they're gonna press the button on the, the box, not press the button on their phone. And that 
eliminates a lot of the security issues, uh, which you don't want to even deal with in the study. What we do want to get, um, and we have Bluetooth connectivity to enable it, is we want to be able to pull out the uh, device data into the app and through the cloud securely to us so we can monitor the device performance. Got it. So how, what are you envisioning for the commercial device then? Because it makes sense in the trial that you don't want people programming the device with the app, but in, in the commercial product, how do you envision the app being used with the product? So we, we expect there to be user controls on the app uh, to be able to customize settings, to be able to track the number of treatments, to be able to you know diary their experience with their headaches. Um, so we, we expect it to be a robust kind of self-care app. Um, also, they can order supplies through the app, very importantly. Uh, and, and people want that, right? They want to make it simple, easy. They want everything recorded. Um, yeah, sorry, Steve, I'm going a little off script. I'm trying to get some sound bites on at-home trial design. So, <laughs> Well, there's a lot yeah. I could talk about with at-home trial design because it is completely different than the in-hospital trials. So that's what I want to focus on. Like, I want to, I want to convey the story of developing a product for effective at-home trials and, you know, in the context of what you care about, which is what is that trial and what data are you getting from it? So we touched on, um, we touched on, on a kind of a one-way Bluetooth connection so that the, the phone is really just beaming the data to the cloud. Are there other like in-home trial, uh, in-home medical device trial considerations that, you know, we haven't covered that, that maybe aren't connected to the app aren't related to the app rather? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, a modern thing in clinical trials uh, at home is these decentralized clinical trials. So they're not going through an institution, not going through a hospital, but they're going through a central uh, institutional review board. There's going to be PIs that you know may be employed by the company or a third-party uh, CRO, and those platforms start with uh, recruitment. So you're going out normally through social media or through advocacy groups where patients are coming to looking for solutions. And you can cast a very wide net, very cost effectively. I mean, we had we used it even for our in-clinic study and we had 5,000 people apply for trials within just a 50 mile radius around three different um, centers. Uh, so imagine if you could broadcast that out to the entire US population you're not limited to you know, the fact that someone lives in Iowa and the center is in, you know, in California. Um, so it's, it's very different. And a lot of these new companies have developed platforms that have the apps, they can do the training, they can do the tracking, the data collection. Uh, it's all on one platform. And, um, it's you know it's a completely different way to manage clinical trials. You can get a lot of leverage out of it, and uh, actually you know we're considering using their app, one one um, clinical trial partners app, to pull the data through our, our Bluetooth with our design. So working with our design partner KeyTech, um, we've been able to to not duplicate efforts in that application development, which is 
a huge cost savings. Uh, yeah, yeah I'm, I guess I'm curious. Um, so Steve, in a sense, these at-home clinical devices are, are really going out into the wild. Can you take us through the life of these devices? So, so they're built, they have to get to users in their home, set up, used, and then back to you. Could you maybe, maybe step us through um, the process for doing that? Yeah, and that is a, is a challenge because you're losing sight of it. Um, you may be able to watch the therapy um, through an app while they're doing it. They actually have software that blurs out the subject's faces during that re that recorded time, um, but you are losing physical cu custody of the device. So you have to have fulfillment that ties to the clinical trial enrollment to get the device to the user's home. You have to train them on use of the device. Um, you have to record the events, and then you have to get it back. Um, you also have to think about you know what are the components of the device? Do I have a durable piece that's going to be reusable? Uh, is it okay for that um, to then be used for another subject? Or is there any possibility of any form of contamination? And you have to have a kind of reprocessing um, and a re-sanitation uh, procedure or sterilization, depending on you know, what you're doing. For us, you know, it's you know, making sure that the device is wiped down, but we don't plan to use the tube sets and the handsets um, ever again. It'll be single use. And not, not only for um, subject, it'll be a, only a single subject that will use it, but we still are gonna make it disposable. Uh, and the same thing for, we have a desiccant cartridge that dries the air and that will be single use as well. So the only thing that we plan on reusing is the boxes. And that's to limit the amount of, you know, regulatory issues um, and safety issues. But you want to get that box back, and a lot of them don't ever make its way back. Sure. So obviously, you're not going to whatever type of compensation um, that you provide, you provide that once you get your device back. So, so eventually, at-home users could clean or disinfect their own devices and reuse them, but you've completely eliminated that step by making them disposable for the trial only, which really sounds like a great idea. Yeah, it's, um, it, it's, it's a lot faster um, and easier and there's less risk. To, to um, another question, to field that many devices um, at homes, did you partner with another company to help fulfill those, those shipments? Um, how, how did you make that work? Yeah, so we haven't done it yet, but we're planning on using our contract manufacturer to do that. So they'll drop ship it to the uh, customer's home and then we'll receive it back and reprocess what needs reprocessing and dispose of what needs disposing. Got it. It's pretty simple logistics. Uh, what data are you pulling off the device specifically? So run, turn on, turn off, runtime, you know, I, you know, I know for a, a migraine study, it's kind of a qualitative, um, how did you feel? But what are the, what, what are you collecting? Yeah, so for migraine, it's all about just device performance. So what was the target flow rate? What was the actual flow rate? What was the relative humidity coming in to the device, going out of the device? Uh, what was the temperature of the air? Um, you know, all, all things like that. Was there any back pressure notice? 
you know, every second the device is logging you know, all of its parameters. And if there was any like errors or events, it's going to track all of, all of that. But the, the information that the endpoints are based on are all reported by the subject. What's, what, what scale is my headache pain when I started right after the therapy at two hours, at 24 hours? Um, that is a subject, subjective uh, reported event. So, uh, Steve, when you plan this study, I'm sure you have to assume that there's some fallout and not every at-home user is going to use the device correctly. They may not write down their information as expected. Um, so do you enroll, you know, more users than you would, you would need in the end? Yes, you do. And you follow up, you follow up. Sure. You're not just going to trust that they've done it. You're going to see whether they've done it. You're going to call them if they haven't, uh, you know, log their stuff, but you do, you do have to count for people falling out of the study for one reason or another. And, and are you getting in trial data and are you, you know, modifying the therapy, like, you know, on the, on the CoolStat platform, you made some pivots here or there. Just curious, you know, how the trial's going or, or, or what are you planning to kind of potentially change as the trial rolls out? Well, unless you have an adaptive trial design where you've already created variables to make changes, you know, based on the data that you're accumulating on the way, uh, you really can't do that. You, you have to stick to your protocol um, all the way through. So it's, it's a it's a big investment in getting it right in the planning. Yeah. So let's let's touch on that just a little bit more. So what what data did you collect pre-trial to tell you what uh, parameters to to use? for this migraine therapy? So we're in process of that right now. We have a study in clinic called the CALM study, cooling for the alleviation of migraine. And the data from that study, which has um, very various flow rates, uh, is going to inform the protocol for the at-home study. And we're gonna get as much possible data as we can out of that study uh, in order to make assessments on the length of the therapy, the flow rate, or dose, which should that be? How do we design a sham that has no activity in it, which is really important and difficult. Um, so all of that, we are still getting educated on uh, from the data from the current study. What steps are you taking to know that the MyHelper is ready to go to homes for clinical trials? Because I'm sure with an expensive study like this, the last thing you want is to ship a bunch of devices and then find out that you have bugs. Um, that would be a nightmare. So maybe you could talk us through, you know, how you know you'll be ready to go. Well, from a, a device preparation standpoint, we're working with our development partner to do all the verification and validation work, the external lab testing, the biocompatibility work, uh, the aging testing for disposables, you know, all of that's being done by the you know, prescribed methods and, and regulations. Um, that's going to give us incredibly high confidence that the device is going to perform, it's going to perform safely, 
um, and it's operating to its specifications. Understood. Yeah. So it sounds like you're under full design control, um, you know, following relevant standards, all that sort of stuff, um, so that you know that it's it's a robust design. Got it. Yeah, exactly. And it meets all the at-home standards. Sure. Uh, Steve, a slightly different um, question, but I think it's a really important one. So um, what does your team structure look like uh, there at, at, at CoolTech uh, to support an at-home, you know, startup medical device trial? You know, you mentioned you know, outsourced product development partner, but, but what does your team look like? Yeah, so I say it looks small but mighty. <laughs> we have um, a total of this many four people that are full-time employees. There's myself. Um, there is a senior product engineer, and there's a director of clinical operations and a clinical research associate. And they work together with our regulatory consultants, our clinical advisory board, our chief science officer, all, all of which are you know, on a contract basis with us. Um, and that allows us to just use the expertise that we need when we need it, uh, and not carry a huge overhead, allows us to be flexible and nimble to make changes. And then of course, you know, having an outsourced development partner gives us incredible flexibility and access to resources that we could never afford to, you know, have on staff. Got it. So keep it lean. Sounds like as lean as you can for as long as you can until you get to the point where you're out there really um, generating the revenues and you want to create scale and you want to create more control. But when you're in that earlier stage until you get to a growth stage, it, it's better to be as lean as possible and to get all the resources channeled into what drives the most value. And that's you know hitting product development milestones, it's hitting regulatory milestones, and most importantly, it's generating high quality evidence for everything that you'll need down the line. Got it. All right. So I, I think we're ready for the for the lightning round. But this time, you know, the, the lightning round is 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 framed for startup medical device companies embarking on in-home clinical trials. Let's keep that lens on, on this lightning round. So, so Steve, what, what advice would you have for another startup CEO who's looking to run an in-home clinical trial? I would so say go out to the market and find these emerging companies that are using a convergence of new technology to operate in the at-home world. It's completely different than the old traditional uh, on-premise studies and you've really got to break the mold and go with a whole new set of people and partners which partners if you don't mind my asking if you um, don't want to answer that that's fine i'm just yeah you know, I, we're, we're we're a media company here steve so we're looking to pre create good content controversy <laughs> we're, we're in an rfp process there are a number of okay all right that are out yeah. there but um, yeah. yeah okay you you can go for an all-in-one or you can look for a clinical trial recruitment company, you can look for an EDC company, you can look for a CRO, um, you know, you can, you know, rent a PI, you can go to, there are, you know, professional research, private institutions that work with these vendors, uh, but they provide the clinical oversight. Um, you don't have to own any of that. 
you can go out and use that. And I would say, don't get hung up with using an academic center. Um, despite the appeal, uh, the patina of the thought leader that's there, um, it's all about the quality of the evidence um, and not the name on the paper. That's a great soundbite. Yeah, we might have to turn that into a T-shirt, Steve. Um, <laughs> we have not talked about product development, um, you know, mainly just because it's key tech doing the development. But I guess, Steve, as, as CEO of a startup company going into uh, an at-home clinical trial, um, what, what, uh, what advice do you have for other startup CEOs uh, as it relates to selecting product development um, teams, whether it's an internal and external team and getting the right device in that trial? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think that um, having capability in the requirements phase, um, having oh, an understanding of the regulations that will apply that are very different early on, um, that's important because you're not likely to have any clue <laughs> what those at-home standards are. Um, you're not going to have a clue in terms of the usability requirements and all the things that an outsourced firm has seen over the years and years and years of what can go wrong. Um, they've seen it. So it's, it's very important, uh, I think, to leverage that. And I guess the other thing I would say is, um, understanding what the product development firm is good at and where they want to or should hand it off to a contract manufacturer. And a lot of that's about, you know, cost and efficiency, which are important. Like every dollar counts if you're in a startup phase. So you're going to take my helper to trials. You know, let's say that the data looks great. Uh, everything goes well. Next step is commercialization. What things have you done to set yourself up to bridge that gap from the trial devices to the commercial devices? Well, aside from doing a lot of research, we haven't done anything um, and nor, nor should we, because there's going to be ample time in order to ramp that up. Um, you know, understanding the market, understanding the pricing and business models, there's a, you know, at, when you get to at home and direct consumer marketing, it's very different, um, in, including the reimbursement models. So you may have a device which ends up on a drug formulary and is part of a PBM. Um, that's very different because um, it's like a dose and you might want to set up your device to be a per use device under software controls and not necessarily physical controls of the old razor razor blade model. So you don't necessarily, sometimes you want a disposable. Well, maybe you don't because you can do it a different way in an at-home setting under a formulary reimbursement model. So it's thinking through all of that stuff, um, but not spending a lot of money until you have the, you know, the evidence, you're farther down the regulatory pathway. It's better to keep your powder dry. Would you advise uh, for for startup companies that are ultimately going to be an in-home product to to do what you're doing 
which is try and do kind of like a, you know a, a smaller study with a modified maybe existing product to, to get to get the data for confidence or do you think in certain situations it makes sense just to to, to develop the actual or close to the commercial product and just go right to in-home trials yeah so if you're gonna have an at-home product the sooner you can get it into an at-home study the better um, it takes a while to develop the device that lets you get there so you might want to be doing some in-clinic work along the way and it depends on the nature of the product you know whether it's a device or therapeutic if it's a therapeutic and you don't know exactly the mechanism of action you just have a theory on it which is pretty pretty much it's most um, therapeutic medical devices then you, you've really got to think of the outcome study and you should try to iterate through uh, dose escalation studies adaptive trial designs, smaller studies to gain different foundations of understanding before you jump into a big pivotal study. So even when we go to the Adam study, we plan to do um, some more dose ranging work at home to confirm where we want to run our pivotal study. All right. Steve, thanks for sitting in today uh, for, for two episodes, uh, episode two here, focusing on the My Helper. Uh, Jake, thanks for being such a great co-host. Uh, and everybody, that, that concludes episode two of Speed to Data here at KeyTech. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to MedTech Speed to Data, a KeyTech podcast. Join us each month for more ways to get the right data faster to inform critical decisions. Find additional resources on our website, keytechinc.com. If you like this episode, don't forget to subscribe and please leave a review on iTunes whenever you listen. Thanks.